Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, Vanguard, Pastor Kerry here. I hope you're staying healthy and you've been encouraged this week as we continue to stay at home during this coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Before we open up God's Word together, let's ask Him to help us understand and apply it to our lives. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for giving it to us, for preserving it, and thank You for its power. Thank you, Lord, that, as Jesus said during his ministry, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Would you please help us to set aside our burdens, concerns, and distractions for the next few minutes so we can love you with our minds and with our hearts. And by your spirit, Lord, would you Help us to understand the meaning of the verses we'll be looking at this morning and then help us to apply them to our lives so that we can glorify you. That's our heart's desire today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, we're continuing this series I'm calling Biblical Thinking About the Coronavirus. And I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And as you turn there, let me just give you some context and set up what we're going to be talking about today. It's hard to believe that just over two months ago, professional sports were still on TV, Uh, Music groups were still touring the country and doing concerts, and schools were operating as normal. But as the coronavirus pandemic began to escalate in March, it seemed like all we were hearing about on the news was the rising death toll, more closings, and more cancellations. I, I suppose this is why our local Christian radio station has been handing out yard signs that say, hope is not canceled. It's been encouraging to me, and I've enjoyed seeing these signs around our community, and I hope you have too. I, I like them because not only are they very creative, it's also biblical, that simple statement that hope is not canceled. Several years ago, uh, there was a famous American cardiologist who wrote this in his autobiography. Quote, hope is the medicine I use more than any other. Hope can cure nearly everything. It's interesting to consider that medical research has found that people can live up to 70 days without food, nearly 10 days without water, and up to six minutes without air. However, the one thing The one thing that it's impossible for us to live without is hope. The Lord has known this about us for centuries, ever since the first man and woman walked on this earth. And I suppose this is the reason, or at least it's one reason why, the pages of Scripture are saturated from Genesis to Revelation with words of hope and encouragement. 
So I've been finding myself wondering lately, what does it mean that hope isn't canceled? What does that mean? Well, the church in Thessalonica, Greece, has always fascinated me because it's the only church in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul called an example for other churches to follow. Despite this, they were by no means a perfect church. They did struggle with some of the same things that all churches do. But one particular struggle they had was how to reconcile the future hope of Jesus' return with their present suffering that they were experiencing that day. And some of the Thessalonian church members were afraid that their deceased loved ones would miss the return of the Lord. Others had taken Paul's teaching that Jesus could return at any moment so literally that they quit their jobs and became disorderly and started causing problems because they had nothing to do but wait on the Lord to come back. And so that's, that's sort of the context of what's going on here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when Paul writes verses 13 to 18. Follow along with me as I read uh, the first verse, verse 13. Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Here's uh, the first point on your outline, and it's this. Deceased Christ followers will find rest. Deceased Christ followers will find rest. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, the Apostle Paul tells us what we have to look forward to. Notice he says in verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed. Uh, please note that the first thing Paul tells the Thessalonians as he transitions into this topic of the Lord's return is that it is not good for Christ followers to be uninformed on this subject. Or another way to say it would be this way. You guys need to know about the return of the Lord. And I think he's saying this because it is, it is crucial, it is essential, it is a foundation piece to having hope. Next he says in verse 13, those who are asleep. So he tells these Christ followers at Thessalonica that those who have died in Christ are actually not dead, they are just asleep. Sleep is often used in the scriptures as a metaphor for peace or being at peace, uh, for death, or both. And it simply implies that someone who's asleep will eventually wake up. They don't stay asleep forever. Uh, next, notice he says in verse 13, I'm telling you this so that you don't grieve as others do who have no hope. And what he's referring to is Unbelievers, those who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they grieve without hope, and that's bad. You know, I've had the privilege of officiating a number of funeral services over the years that I've been a pastor, and in all those services, 
I have observed that unbelievers grieve without hope. And they do so by, by telling themselves things they are not sure of, such as, you know, she's in a better place. They don't know what that place is or what it looks like because they, they haven't read the scriptures. Or they might say things like, you know, man, Joe, he's up there partying with Peter, James, and John. Again, not knowing what it takes to get into heaven or what heaven looks like or will be like because they have no understanding of the scriptures. Now, on the other hand, believers grieve with hope. Their funerals are often lighter and more celebratory because they know the comforting promises of God's word for those who die knowing Christ. Hope is usually defined as the positive expectation that our current circumstances will change or improve. It's the uh, hope is it's looking forward to something in the future that will satisfy us or bring relief to us. Now let's pause the video uh, for just a moment and I'd like you to talk with your spouse or your children or if you're watching the video with someone else or by yourself. You can talk to yourself if you want. Um, I'd like you to answer this question that's on your handout. Can you name some things that people, including believers, place their hope in besides Jesus? Can you name some things that people, including believers, place their hope in besides Jesus? Or another way I could phrase the question is, what kinds of things do we look forward to in this life? Talk about that for a minute, and I'll be right back. Well, here's a few answers to this question that came to my mind. Uh, and again, there's several answers I think we could come up with, but some of the things I have found that people look forward to or hope for in this life, including believers, are things like earning more money, uh, obtaining more material things, such as a bigger house, a newer car, new clothes, new toys, a faster computer, the latest smartphone or gadget that is being released by Apple. Um, something else that people tend to uh, look forward to or hope in or hope for is exciting experiences uh, like a vacation, a wedding, a new movie that's coming out in theaters, uh, a new season of their favorite TV show, uh, maybe going to see your favorite band in concert, sporting events, uh, a new album release from your favorite artist birthdays, Christmas morning, retirement, a friend or a relative visiting, and on and on and on. Uh, something else that um, I've seen uh, believers and people in general look forward to is uh, events such as a wedding or the birth of a child or birth of grandchildren. Now, out of curiosity, I went to BibleGateway.com today and I, I did a search to see how many times the word hope showed up or shows up in the New Testament? And in doing so, I found something very interesting I had never noticed before. 
out of the 76 times that hope, the word hope, shows up in the New Testament, just over half of those verses, 39 to be exact, refer directly or indirectly to hoping in the believer's resurrection, the Lord, or the Lord's return. And I've listed all these references on your handout. So if you want to look them up uh, later, you can, or maybe look them up in your devotions this week. It's a, it's a really interesting study to look up all these references and to see in the context what the New Testament writers were telling believers then and telling us to hope for. Most of the other references where the New Testament writers referred to hope were, generally speaking, uh, hoping that their readers would grow spiritually or hoping to be able to visit them soon. So what's my point? This means most of the time hope was talked about in the New Testament, it had nothing to do with improving current circumstances. Instead, the New Testament writers encouraged believers to hope in something beyond their time here on earth. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong in looking forward to the things we came up with during our discussion question a couple minutes ago. However, however, God's word does say there is something wrong with our hearts if earthly things are the only thing we are looking forward to. I think this is why the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 when he was uh, explaining to the Corinthians the hope of the future resurrection for believers who are dead in Christ. And he wrote this, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are to be most pitied. We are of all people most to be pitied. I mean, that's... That's a sad thing for believers. So why can believers grieve with hope when their believing friends and relatives pass away? Because Paul implies in verse 13, and then he explains in verses 14 to 15, that believers who have passed away are resting with the Lord. And that's a great thing. Next, look back at the text with me. I'm going to read the next couple of verses here, uh, verses 14 to 16. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Here's number two in your outline. 
The blessed hope will return. The blessed hope will return. Blessed hope is it's one of several names the authors of Scripture gave to Jesus. And this particular name, Blessed Hope, comes from Titus 2.13. And the name itself suggests the return of Christ or being reunited with Christ is supposed to be the greatest longing in the heart of a believer. And here in, and here in verse 14, the apostle gives a qualifier or a prerequisite for those who want to be with Christ when they die or they want to see their loved ones when Jesus returns. And that is, in verse 14, he says, through Jesus. Through Jesus. You might want to underline that in your Bible. This supernatural event that Paul is talking about here is only, it's only, for those who have repented of their sin and trusted in Christ alone for their salvation. This passage contains the first in a sequence of events that signifies the beginning of the end. The, or another way to say it, the beginning of end times doctrine. Theologians sometimes call it the imminent return of Christ because it could happen at any moment but no one knows exactly when. We don't have time to unpack this in detail, so here's just a quick, simple summary or overview of what the Scriptures describe will happen at the end of the world, when, when things are beginning to come to an end. Um, and this is, this is often called by theologians premillennial, I'm sorry, pre-tribulational, premillennial eschatology. Uh, and simply put, there will first be the rapture of believers who are alive on earth, they will be raptured and rescued by Jesus. Next, there will be seven years of tribulation, God pouring out his wrath on earth for earth's sin and rebellion. The believers, excuse me, the sinners on earth. Next, Jesus will come back and reign on earth for 1,000 years. It's called the millennial reign of Christ. And then after that, Jesus will establish a new heaven and a new earth, establishing his kingdom forever here. And everything will be restored back to what it was supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. Now, Paul says, getting back to the text here in 1 Thessalonians 4, that Jesus will return with, and here's letter A on your outline, the authority of a general. He says, with a cry of command. And this is important because a lot of people misunderstand Jesus to be this meek, mild, um, weak servant who uh, is a pushover. But he's not. Uh, when Paul says that Jesus will return with a cry of command or Letter A, as I told you, with the authority of a general, um, he's using this on purpose, this, this cry of command on purpose, because persons of authority entrusted with organizing people sometimes have to use loud commands. The Greek word that Paul uses here is found nowhere else in the New Testament. 
It's a unique word. It's a military term that describes the issuing of commands to an army. Well, who's, who's the army? It's, it's all the believers that Jesus is mustering to come follow him back to heaven. So the first time, in other words, the first time that Jesus came to earth, he was a poor carpenter. The next time he comes back down here to earth, he will be a powerful conqueror. Okay, next, letter B, Jesus is also going to return with the majesty of a king. The majesty of a king. Uh, Paul references the trumpet of God sounding off. Uh, the trumpet is a loud, majestic instrument that can be heard for many yards, um, sometimes for a couple miles. It can especially be heard over a battlefield. It was commonly used in biblical times to give signals or warnings for such things as the arrival of a king, mustering of troops, or signaling, signaling strategic initiatives in battle. When Christ returns, there will be an ear-piercing, head-turning, show-stopping trumpet sound. His return will be visible, unmistakable, and undeniable headline news. In fact, when Jesus returns, the angels in heaven will sing, the demons in hell will quiver, and the saints on earth will celebrate. This verse implies two questions. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, are you ready? Are you ready to go to be with him? Uh, the other question it implies is if Jesus is not yet your Lord and Savior, do you want to risk being left behind? Here's number three on your outline. The next thing Paul tells us is that the dead in Christ will be resurrected. The dead in Christ will be resurrected. In verse 14, he says, God's going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The souls of believers who have already died and gone to heaven will come back in the sky with Jesus. Then Paul tells us in verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise first. This is describing the bodies of those who have been in heaven with Jesus, being resurrected and reunited with their souls in what the scriptures call a new resurrection body. Uh, I like to think of it like this. It's like an automobile collector who restores a junkyard vehicle to its original condition. The Lord will restore the bodies of believers to the original condition he intended them to have before the fall. Now, let's pause the video here again and talk about this discussion question, and that is, why, why do we hope in temporal, earthly things instead of the return of Christ? Like some of the things that 
we mentioned in the previous question. Why do we hope in those things instead of the return of Christ? Talk about that for a minute, and I'll be right back. Now, once again, there isn't one single answer to this question. So here's a, here's a few that came to my mind. First of all, I think our sin nature just in itself longs for instant gratification. So we long for things that we know we can get quickly on our timetable. Another reason I think we hope for and look forward to temporal things more than the return of Christ is that it's easier to hope for things that are easy to visualize for us. You know, let's, I'll be honest with you, the return of Christ is, it's pretty spectacular, and it's hard for us to envision what that's going to look like because we've not really seen anything in our lifetime, nor has anybody else really, uh, that compares to it. And I think another reason why we hope in temporal earthly things more than the return of Christ is this. And this is an important one. We might love the things of this world more than Jesus. And this is important because identifying what you hope in is extremely important because it reveals what you really love. And if you love anything else more than Jesus, you're at risk of not being with Jesus in eternity. I really want to urge you to ponder that if that's the case and do business with the Lord to get your heart right with him there. Uh, finally, let's, let's look at the text again. I'm going to read verses 17 and 18, and then we'll record our final point. Paul says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Here's number four in your outline the alive in Christ will be raptured. The alive in Christ will be raptured. We who are alive there in verse 17 will be caught up together. This phrase comes from the Greek word harpazo. It literally means to, to snatch up or to take away forcefully. It would be like, imagine with this, this uh, coffee cup here, if I was to just shoom, scoop it up quickly. That's what it's describing. Um, this verse is where we get the term rapture from. You probably have heard of it before. Uh, the rapture describes this mind, or well, the word rapture describes this mind-blowing, spectacular event in which millions of genuine Christ followers will instantaneously vanish from the earth and be reunited with Jesus in the sky. And they'll be re reunited with the dead in Christ that are coming back with him. This is very encouraging because if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, 
you can count on him coming back to rescue you from this fallen, decaying world that brings us so much heartache. And that's hope that you can count on. That is hope that is not canceled. Because even though people are sick and some are dying and the economy is sinking and several other things are changing here on this earth, nothing has changed in heaven. Nothing. And none of God's plans have changed for the future. So how do we apply what we've talked about here in these verses? What do we do with this? Here's two applications that come to mind, and you may have others. And if, you, if so, if the Lord has revealed to you some other things that you need to apply and change in your life, I want to encourage you to write those down too. But here's two that came to my mind, and I hope they'll stimulate your thinking. Uh, application number one, make being with Jesus your greatest hope. Make being with Jesus your greatest hope. The apostles urged the New Testament believers to place their hope in Christ because no one knew how long their suffering was going to last, and no one knew when they were going to die and be relieved of their suffering. And just about all the believers in the New Testament were suffering and being persecuted for, for their faith in Christ. Just about every church that the apostles wrote to were suffering for being believers. Thus, they reminded their readers of what they could be certain of, and that is being reunited with Christ. Having this kind of perspective prevented them from being disappointed with God when their suffering went longer than they thought it would or simply never ended. You see, what if you never do earn more money than what you earn right now? Or what if you never do get married or have kids or grandchildren? Or what if you do have poor health the rest of your life? Or whatever it is that you're hoping will happen in your life here on this earth, either um, this week, next month, next year, or in five years. What if that never happens? Will having Jesus be enough for you? You see, one of the most common causes of disappointment with God is when He doesn't give us things we thought He promised us. But He didn't promise us. Therefore, we should love Jesus for who he is instead of just loving what he can do for us. And that's really important to get settled in your heart. Next, the second application that comes to mind is live with an eternal perspective. Live with an eternal perspective. Why? Well, because we can't take our money, jobs, houses, 
gadgets, clothes, and all the other things this world tempts us with into eternity. Uh, because we will be comfortable with Jesus exponentially longer in eternity than we will suffer down here away from him. Therefore, leaving this world to be in the presence of Jesus should be every believer's greatest hope. And it should be something that we talk about a lot, that we can't wait for the Lord to return or to go home to be with the Lord. C.S. Lewis reminded his Christian readers of this at a time when the world seemed to be coming to an end, back in World War II. In his classic work, Mere Christianity, Lewis writes this, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, meaning heaven, that they have become so ineffective in this world. Aim at heaven and you will get earth. But aim at earth and you will get neither. Boy, that's, that's great insight from C.S. Lewis. So, to answer the question, is hope canceled? Absolutely not. And praise the Lord. We can hope that the Lord will use whatever happens to us here on earth for His glory and our good. And we can hope through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that we will be with Him forever. This is one reason why I am continuing to remind you to not waste your quarantine or time at home this spring. Instead, I'm urging you to invest extra time you have right now in growing your relationship with the Lord. Because you don't know when He's coming back again. And trust me, you want to be ready. Well, may the Lord bless you. Thanks for tuning in. I'm praying for you. I miss you. And I'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.